evening. Will you please join us in the call to worship? On this Good Friday, we contemplate the good news of the cross, how Christ our Lord stretched out his arms to embrace a world of suffering and sin, how Christ our Lord stretched out his arms to save us. Beside the gate, a woman asked Simon Peter if he was a disciple of Jesus. He, he said, said, I, I am, am not. not. Later, they asked him again, are you not also one of his disciples, are you? Peter, Peter denied it and, and said, I, I am, am not. Then one of the slaves of the high priest asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, again Peter, Peter denied, denied it. it. Please join us in our opening hymn, Were You There?, number 288. <coughs> Oh uh -huh. 
Join us in the opening prayer. Lord God, on, on this haunting, haughty day, we come to the place of the skull, the place of the cross, the place of our salvation. In the face of such suffering, show us the face of our Savior. In the shadow of such evil, show us the light of your grace. Through, Through Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ our, our Lord. Lord. Amen. Amen. Our second hymn this evening is Alas and Did My Savior Bleed, number 294.
you'd please join aloud with me in our prayer of illumination. Holy God, as we, we bow, bow our heads beneath, beneath the cross, cross pour, pour out, out your Holy Spirit, Spirit upon us to testify to, to the truth so that we may believe. This we pray through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. Our first scripture reading this evening is Isaiah 52, 13 through 53 and 12. The Suffering Servant. See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond humble human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So if he shall startle many nations, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard they shall contemplate. Who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering from sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I shall allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The word of God for the people of God, and you say, Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Our second scripture reading this evening is Hebrews 10, 16 through 25 in the NRSV. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the gospel of the Lord, and you say, Praise, Praise to, to you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Our third scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse, or verse 1 through chapter 19, verse 42. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Aeneas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. 
I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Aeneas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus to Caiaphas, to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat over the or be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, If this man were not a criminal, we would have not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus has said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? They shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. 
From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But this man said, I am the king of the Jews, Pilate answered. What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Calopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a special day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. When the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He, saw, he who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, They will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, 
also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the gospel of the Lord. And you say, praise, praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. If you'd please join me again in an attitude of prayer. Bless you, Jesus Christ, Father's eternal Son, one anointed in the Holy Spirit, creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things. In unspeakable humility, you crossed all worlds to become one with us and submitted yourself this day to be judged and beaten, mocked and despised, cursed and crucified by the human race, embracing the hostility of sinners against you, that you could reach us at our unspeakable worst, thereby bringing all that you are with your Father and the Holy Spirit together with all that we are in our terrible darkness and pain. Bless you, Jesus, all honor and praise and glory to your unspeakable love. And now may the words of my mouth, meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Whew, what an eventful couple of hours, huh? First, Jesus gets arrested. Then Peter denies him not once, but three times. Then he is brought before by, to trial by Pilate, the Roman governor. Then a criminal named Barabbas is released instead of Jesus. Jesus gets whipped and mocked and questioned again by Pilate. And finally, Pilate hands him over to be crucified. Jesus is made to carry his own cross. He is nailed to it and is crucified for all to see. And then in only a few hours' time, Jesus dies. His final words before he breathes his final breath are, it is completed. Jesus is then pierced in his side. His body is given over to one of his disciples, but one that was secret because of his fear of the Jewish authorities, who then buries him in a tomb, and a stone is rolled in front of it. And just like that, it was all over. It was completed, as Jesus said. But just what exactly was over? What was now completed? Well, I suppose it all comes back to one person's perspective, doesn't it? If we were to ask the disciples, the Jewish leaders, the Roman leaders, or the followers of Jesus, we might get four quite different answers about the events that we just read about. The Roman leaders probably were thinking that this uproar and disturbance that the Jews were all in arms over was finally done. It was completed. This Jesus person who so many of the Jewish leadership were all complaining about was dead and now out of the picture. Now things could go back to normal, and hopefully the emperor and the rest of Rome wouldn't hear anything about this, and the governor will not get any bad press or attention. 
Well, how about the Jewish leaders? They were probably feeling surprisingly good about themselves. They put down this false teacher, this heretic, who was claiming or who was challenging their power and their authority. They were able to keep the status quo and return everything back to how it should be. They were probably thinking the people would soon forget all of this and, and nothing was really going to change. What about the regular everyday people who had been following Jesus? The ones who heard him preach and teach on the mountainsides or from the boat or in the streets? What was going through their minds? They may have been feeling confused, even lost or disappointed. Here, this teacher was telling them these, these great, amazing things about God's love, but then he is killed and taken away. Had he really made a difference in any of their lives? Yes, he performed some miracles, but there were still so many people in need. And of course, what about the disciples? These people who had, been, who had spent practically every moment of every day with Jesus for these last three years, they just saw the man who claimed to be the Son of God, the one who talked about bringing about change in his kingdom to power. They saw him crucified and die. What now? Where was the kingdom? Where was the change? They saw their leader murdered in public and had no recourse. They were now outlaws themselves. What happened? It's all over. Four vastly different groups of people and four vastly different perspectives on the events of these last few hours. But even with these four different views, they all come back to the same thing. It is completed. What the different groups of people might have believed to be completed may not have been the same. They all believed that something was in fact completed. And while in their own ways each group was right at some level that what they understood to be completed was finished, we know today that there was something even greater that Jesus was alluding to in his final words. Jesus wasn't talking about the end of a revolution or the failing of a new rise to power. Now, we know today that Jesus was talking about something much, much bigger and much, much grander. Well, from the perspective of the writer of this passage, Jesus was talking about his work being completed here on earth. His time in ministry was now done, and he was going to be moving on to something else. Today, we identify that as going forward to conquer death and sin. We could also identify these words as an acknowledgement that Jesus' death took place once for all humanity, so therefore, it is completed. We can also recognize that it is completed as more than just an acknowledgement that Jesus' life was coming to an end. We can also see it as an affirmation that Jesus finished the work that God had given him to do, the ministry of those last three years. We can also see it for Jesus loving his own, his mother, until the very end of his life as he gives his mother to the disciple whom he loved and her, and her to him. We can also recognize these words as God being glorified even in the dying act of Jesus and speaking them.
So in that moment, something was brought to an end. Whether it is seen as an end to chaos or an end to heresy or an end to help for those in need or the end of a revolution or the end to a ministry. But there was an ending here. But that is not all that there was. For just as there was an ending, there was also a beginning. The Roman leaders believed that all of this was just a hiccup or bump in the road. Little did they know that Christianity would one day become the official religion of their state. The Jewish leaders believed that they had regained control of their people and had quieted a heretic, returning things to normal life. Little did they know that Christians would one day outnumber Jews over 14 to 1. The local people believed that they had lost their advocate who would help to feed them and cure them. Little did they know that the works of Jesus would one day inspire inspire Christians around the world to take up causes like eradicating malaria from the world or feeding the hungry. And what about those disciples? They believed that all was lost. They were without their teacher who had spoken about a revolution that would change their lives. They too were not able to see ahead that their work was really just beginning and they would help to change the world forever in ways they probably could have never ever imagined. Each of these groups would be facing a new beginning as this ending was happening. But even more important of a beginning than any of these things was the beginning that was to come in three days. It was the beginning that no one in these groups could have ever predicted, even though Jesus had pretty much told the disciples what was to come. The greatest beginning ever was yet to come, and even when it did, many would still not realize it for what it was. But what about all of us sitting here today? Can we see an ending here today somehow in our own lives? Can we identify something that we can call completed, but also acknowledge that whatever it is that we call completed will also mean that something new is about to begin? We have so many years of hindsight and information that those present that day did not have. But can we see an ending and soon a beginning right now in our own lives. Last night during our Monday Thursday service, I spoke about Jesus' commandment to love each other, to love each other like Jesus has loved us so that people would see that love shine through. What if that is it? What if today we would all say it is completed in regards to our pettiness, our distrust, our jealousness or sinful attitudes towards one another? And what if today we also saw the new beginning before us was us all loving each other as beloved children of God in Christ Jesus the way that Jesus has loved each of us? Jesus sacrificed his life that we might not have to be held back by sin and death and instead be able to fully experience God's love and mercy and grace. Jesus let his life be taken from him as an innocent man so that we would not have to suffer. In his darkest hour, his 
His hour that he needed his disciples the most, he was instead left alone. It was finished. But again, we know what is coming. We know what happened three days later. It can be easy for us to sit here and think, well, yeah, he died and everything, but but he's going to raise up in three days, so it's all good. The people back then didn't know that. They did not know it was all going to be okay. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine the panic, the disappointment, the depression, and the loss. But instead of being overconfident in this moment because we have the hindsight of knowing what comes next, or instead of being beaten down over the loss, what if we found inspiration? What if we do exactly what I said and use this as foundation for completing our time not loving one another, that sinful identity, and instead grab a hold of the commandment to love each other and claim our identity as children of God and followers of Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what our world would be like? And just as I said last night, what if we then took it a step further and showed that love to everyone, regardless of their religious affiliation or other qualifying characteristics? What if we just loved everyone? Forget improving things in our local community. That kind of reality would lead to things improving around the entire world. Think about what we are remembering here today. Jesus gave his life, and it was not just like he fell asleep and passed away. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was abused, and then crucified. Crucified. He had nails pounded through his wrists and hands and his feet into a wooden cross, and he was hung on that cross while his body began to fail him. His lungs would have been struggling to stay open and bring air into his body. This is an incredibly painful and horrible way to die. But Jesus loved us all enough to undergo all of that so that we might be saved. At the very least, do we not owe it to him to go out and follow that commandment? Isn't that something that we should at least attempt to do? Especially given what we already know about what can happen when we do it. When we love each other in that way, amazing things can happen in our world. The hungry can be fed. The poor can be helped. The oppressed can be freed. The sick can be made healthy once again. Our world can be an incredibly beautiful place because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But just as his sacrifice has freed us from sin and death, it is now our turn to go and bring love to the world. It is our turn to bring to completion the things that hold us back from loving others. It is now time to turn to love and prepare to begin something new. Amen. If you would please join me now in an attitude of prayer. Holy God, we come before you this night 
in the shadow of the cross. All of our sins, all of our failings, all of our wrong, all of our brokenness is wiped away in the sacrifice of Jesus. We didn't earn that. We can never really fully live up to it. And we recognize that your grace and the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what saves us. Tonight, we lift up all of those who are suffering, whether it be physically, emotionally, or mentally, wherever they are, whatever is holding them down, we lift them to your healing hands. And we lift those who are working so hard to help heal your creation. We lift up those who work so hard to try and keep us safe, and we pray for their safety and well-being. We pray those, for those who are in mourning, who have lost loved ones, as we all acknowledge the loss of Jesus from the world, even still knowing what is yet to come. We lift up the leaders in our lives and ask that you would guide them, that you would touch their hearts, in their minds that they might work together and work for the betterment of all people. We lift ourselves, asking for your healing, for your strength, for your inspiration, that the Holy Spirit might touch our hearts and inspire us to see one another the way you see us as your beloved children that we could follow that commandment so fully to love one another as Jesus has loved us and that those who see us would know that we are his disciples because of how we love. All of these things as well as those we keep on our own hearts and minds, we lift to you this night in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Christ, we have a great high priest who knows our every weakness. He has been tested as we are, yet his faithfulness never failed. Therefore, we dare to approach the throne of grace, trusting God's mercy as we confess our sin. If you would please join me responsively in our prayer of confession. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess to you like sheep, we all go astray. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. We betray you, we deny you. Like sheep, we all go astray. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. We mock you, we scorn you. Like sheep, we all go astray. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. We abandon you, we forsake you. Like sheep, we all go astray. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. We condemn you, we crucify you. Like sheep, we all go astray. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. Lamb of God, have mercy on us. 
and by your grace, Lord Jesus Christ, save us from our sin. Amen. Please take a moment for silent prayer and confession. Beloved children of God, let us live in the fullness, full assurance of our faith, with our hearts cleansed of all evil and our bodies washed with living water. This is the good news of Good Friday. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us now provoke one another to love and good deeds, giving our lives for one another in the name of the one who gave his life for us.
I believe whatever the cost. And when time has surrendered and earth is no more, I'll so cling to that old rugged cross. If you would please join me in our doxology. We give you thanks and praise, O God, that you have poured out your love for us through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Teach us to pour out our love for others, sharing your deep goodness and grace with a world that is thirsty for new life. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We will continue with hymn number 286, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Should I fainting be? 
If you'd please join me responsively now in the reproaches Christ lament against his faithless church. O oh, my people, O oh, my church, what have I done to you? Or in what have I offended you? I led you forth from the land of Egypt and delivered you by the waters of baptism. But you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy, holy God, God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I led you through the desert 40 years and fed you with manna. I brought you through times of persecution and of renewal and gave you my body, the bread of heaven. But you have prepared a cross for your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I made you branches of my vineyard and gave you the water of salvation. But when I was thirsty, you gave me vinegar and gall and pierced, and pierced with a spear the side of your Savior. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I went before you in a pillar of cloud, but you have led me to the judgment hall of Pilate. I brought you to a land of freedom and prosperity, but you have scourged, mocked, and beaten me. Holy God, holy, holy and, and mighty, holy and, and immortal one, have, have mercy upon us. I gave you a royal scepter and bestowed the keys to the kingdom, but you have given me a crown of thorns. I raised you on high with great power, but you have hanged me on the cross. Holy, holy God, God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. My peace I gave you, which the world cannot give, and washed your feet as a servant, but you draw the sword to strike in my name and seek high places in my kingdom. Holy, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I accepted the cup of suffering and death for your sakes, but you scatter and deny and abandon me. I sent the spirit of truth to lead you, but you close your hearts to guidance. Holy God, holy and mighty, Holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I called you to go and bring forth fruit, but you cast lots for my clothing. I prayed that you all may be one, but you continue to quarrel and divide. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I grafted you into the tree of my chosen people, Israel, but you turned on them with persecution and mass murder. I made you joint heirs with them of my covenants, but you made them scapegoats for your own guilt. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us. I came to you as the least of your brothers and sisters. I was hungry, but you gave me no food. Thirsty, but you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, but you did not welcome me. Naked, but you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, but you did not visit me. Holy, holy God, holy and mighty, holy and immortal one, have mercy upon us.
And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please join me in our closing hymn number 292, What Wondrous Love Is This? Beloved children of God, hold fast to your hope, for God is faithful. Amen.